Dworkin the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Dworkin asks for it and now has it. Dworkin will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, behind the host, Mike, as always, on this beautiful Wednesday, October 6, 2021. Joined alongside by the All-American Boy and my partner in crime, Zach Serdnick, and I'm still trying to come up with a weird and funky nickname for Aiden Champion. Folks, how are we doing today? Doing good. Uh, it's been fun. This has been a fun season to... I just noticed you just put hi, Dad, at the top of the document. Sorry. Um, it's been a fun season to follow, fun season to watch. Um, I'm I'm just at the point in the school year right now where I'm really, like, trying to stay motivated because um, it's, like, mid-semester almost, just about now. And Is it really? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, a couple weeks away from uh, the midpoint. Oh, I, see, I've taken six credits this entire semester, so what you guys are going through, I'm not going through, but I also oh. killed myself the last two summers. Yeah. I give you credit, though, and I'll tell you why. Joanne Gertzner, our professor for Journalism 416, you were the one talking about how, I probably shouldn't be admitting this, but I will anyway because I'm a blithering idiot. <laughs> Those book reports, never read a book. It would, What was the first one? I think it was like emotional intelligence or something like that. EQ is what it was called. Read five minutes of it, looked right in the middle of the book, took one section, expanded upon it, immediate four point. And it was funny because like two days before, she's like, I'm the master bullshitter. Like you guys need to raise your bullshit factor by about 10,000. Looks like I'm, I'm like, I will take that challenge. And I did a bloody good job. I did a bloody good job because I haven't done piddly crap for that class and I haven't missed a point yet. Oh, just wait till she listens to yeah, this. Yeah, you better hope she doesn't hear that. Yeah. It's okay. I, I think she would respect the audacity. I think she would respect the audacity. But all serious, in all seriousness, as Zach was saying, Michigan State comes into Rutgers Week 5-0. and Those who bet in Vegas. My granddad actually asked me at the beginning of the year, how much, how many wins I thought Michigan State was going to get this year. And I put the over-under on about six, and the line was four and a half. He's already cashed out. He got himself a nice $300 bet, so he's quite happy with me right now. Yeah, I I told people out in Virginia on the internship I was on this summer, uh, one of the guys on our staff was a big sports betting guy, big college sports guy. And he was looking at it, and we were talking about Michigan State, and I said, slam the over. At, at that time, it was at four. Then it went to four and a half. He said, slam the over. And I said, because at worst, you're going to get four wins out of this team, I think. And he was looking at the schedule. He was like, eh, four and eight, five and seven, maybe. I was like, trust me, slam the over. And I don't know if he trusted me or not. I'll have to reach out and ask him. But uh, if any of you slammed the over, congratulations. Well, I think we all knew the Big Ten West was going to be bad this year. I didn't think we knew anybody thought it was going to be this bad with Minnesota, Northwestern, and Wisconsin especially taking turns as looking like they don't belong in a Power 5 conference. Michigan State 2-0 in conference with two winnable games coming up against Rutgers without possibly their best receiver in Bill Melton and Indiana with probably without Michael Penix. We'll get into that a little bit later. 
Kenneth Walker comes into this game leading the nation in rushing yards with 680, also has eight rushing touchdowns, and Jaden Reed in all-purpose yards, 883. When I don't know, has there ever been a time, because you're the Mr. Statistics guru, guru Mr. Ken Pomeroy over here, <laughs> when's the last time a school has led Division One in rushing yards and in all-purpose yards? Like I don't know if it ever had, especially like had a leader or led both as a team. in both categories. Well, like just one specific person or like a team, a team. Well, well I would think. Well, either I just or. Meant, I just yeah. meant like the either team or. led in rushing, total rushing, and the team led in <clears throat> total all purpose, or they had the leader in rushing and no, in pro- all purpose. Probably the individual, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure. I will try and find out by the end of this podcast episode. We'll see. And he and he will. He will. That's the thing. Is like he's able to dig information in places that I have never even thought of possibly canvassing. But Bailey Zappi for Western Kentucky goes 46-64 for 488 yards and three scores. That was nuts. Like, I think that's one of those performances where you watch film leading up to the week in the game just for your pre-prep as a broadcaster, and you kind of get an appreciation for how accurate the kid's deep ball accuracy is, especially at a mid-major school for a guy who wasn't highly recruited at all. I mean, if he was highly recruited, frankly, he wouldn't have been going to Houston Baptist. But then you, it's like, this is insane. Like, it's one of those things you just have to go, you have to see to believe. Like, Zach and I, um, completely unrelated, I had no idea. But I think it was in late July or early August, we both went to a Tigers game. I went with my family, he went with his, didn't even know oh, he yeah. was there. And Shohei Otani hits a 450-foot bomb and goes eight scoreless innings. Like, you can see it on TV, but you don't gain a real live appreciation for it unless you're there. And I feel so bad for the kid when you throw for 488 yards, three scores, and you still lose by 17 points. Like, that's the kicker in all this. You know what I mean? Like, that Western Kentucky defense, we talked about being bad, and they absolutely lived up to that. But Gerald Sturdens is a stud, 70 catches for 186 yards and a score. Mitchell Tinsley had another strong game, seven catches for 127 yards. But the biggest takeaway and the best announcement for all of this stuff is the fact that meal tickets are back. Mm-hmm. You two didn't cover football in the four days, and I only did three or four games, so I really shouldn't be talking like I'm Moses here. <laughs> but they're back. They're finally back. You don't have to pay $6 to get one of those hot dogs that gives you food poisoning after. <laughs> like, I got a couple of those pretzels, and my God, those things are good. Now if, they, now if they can just <clears throat> put the, keep mu- the mustard dispensers on both sides of the concourse that would be kind of nice instead of having to run all the way down and then thinking the mustard's going to be down at the other end and then realizing it's not on the same side as the drink thing or giving you something to put the mustard in yes other than that i'm happy they just got to fix the sierra mist machine because i'm not the world's biggest pepsi fan i will drink it i'm not a big pepsi co guy i'm a big dr pepper sierra mist guy um i will crush i will crush pepsi though i do it all the time in our sports meetings after these srz podcasts at 5 30 but Really wish they would fix the Sierra Mist so it wasn't watered down. The other thing, Rutgers spelt my last name wrong on my credential. Remember last week how I was ranting and raving about how it should be S-T-E-A-R-N-S instead of S-T-E-R-N-S? Because yeah. they spelt it wrong <laughs> with S-T-E-R-N-S. And I guarantee you're going to get someone that's there and be like, well, his license is S-T-E-A-R and this is S-T-E-R. Nope, sorry, can't let you in. It's like, well, there's three of us and one of you. What are you going to do? But... <laughs> Not not thrilled about that, especially after I sent the email with my name like three times, and it's weird because I'm the one that like requested the credential. And but anyway, 
I digress. The Rutgers athletic department, in all seriousness, has been absolutely sensational to deal with. Sending us a digital parking pass and give us giving us instructions and telling us exactly where we need to go. Like props to them, their uh, head football SID Hasim Phillips. Actually, I sent him an email probably four weeks back asking for. Uh, cr- a credential request and he got back to me within two hours like yeah no that'll be fine our, our our outside student radio press box is like it's partially outside but it's it's free and covered from the elements and oh by the way you're about 40 feet from the nearest ethernet port so like we I, as far as i know i know we have a bunch of long ethernet cables running around i don't know where they are but gave us enough time to order one like that's the kind yeah. of stuff i i so appreciate it i found your stat I, I knew he would. This but is freaking creepy. It's not as rare as you would think because most, or it, when it does happen, a lot of times the all-purpose yard leader is also the rushing yeah, leader. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. And so the last time it happened was 2019 when now Carolina Panther, Chuba Hubbard, had it for Oklahoma State. I am curious. I'll see if I can, if I find it before the end of this podcast, I'll let you know, but when the last time it was two different players on the same team. But also, this is very early in the season, obviously, but if those two could keep that up, that would be a very impressive feat for it to be two different players on the same team. That was the year he ran for like 2,000 yards and 20-some-odd touchdowns, wasn't it? Yep. When he when he was a Mr. Mr. Workhorse for the old Cowboys. Boys, we're taking our talents to Rutgers and approximately... Or that be thirty six hours, something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, I am excited. I I had some exciting news to pass along to both of you. Turns out we are on the same flight as Chris Solari at six fifteen really? in the morning. So that's gonna be nice. There we go. Fun. It's we are gonna be Mister Student Radio. Maybe Mister the Student Radio people can get some tips from Mister Detroit Free Press. But move on to Michigan State Western Kentucky Spartans win forty eight to thirty one. Score forty two points. In the first half, that's the first time since 2014 when they beat Eastern Michigan and put up 70-some-odd points. And then actually the week after, I went back and checked. They scored 42 points again against yeah, Wyoming, Wyoming. against uh, in 56-14 to 14 win. Kenneth Walker returns to form, 24 carries, 126 yards, and three scores. Jaden Reed sets the tone early with that 88-yard pump return score on the first offensive play from scrimmage, I guess you could call it. He had a 46-yard receiving touchdown, 285 all-purpose yards. Jalen Naylor's coming out, party eight catches for 128 yards. What aspect of the game impressed you most and what player in this win against a team that I was frankly very worried about? Um, well, the obvious answer is Jaden Reed. I mean, <clears throat> second week in a row, he returns a punt for a touchdown. Uh, did so right off the bat to set the tone for the game. Um, but and just looking overall at this game, I mean, everybody is um, very critical of the second half performance. Michigan State having uh, scoring twenty one and. The first and second quarters, and then only dropping six points in second half. But, you know, what I take away from this is the bend don't break, and they certainly uh, lived up to that mentality, uh, even though they were letting Zappy march all over the field. Um, you know, they were able to hold Western Kentucky to those field goals, and that's ultimately what you got to do. You got to find a way to get something um 
when nothing seems to be going your way. Yeah, you mentioned that a number we talked about on the broadcast was that percentage of the time that teams score touchdowns when getting in the red zone. That's down to 52% against Michigan State. Teams only get into the end zone 52% of the time. That's not a bad percentage. I mean, 10 of 19 in holding teams out of the end zone when you get into the red zone, that's a pretty good spot. And that's something that this team has prided themselves on. And I've heard a lot of people in a lot of like banter and all of this other stuff talking about how Michigan State's defense is really bad. And I don't agree. Michigan State's defense, when you look at by yards, is 104th in the country. But Michigan State defense, if you look at it by points, is a whole lot better than that because this team doesn't give up touchdowns. And a lot of the touchdowns they have given up have come after the game was over in the Northwestern game and in the Youngstown State game and in the Western Kentucky game. So the defense still impressed me the most, I think, in that game. And Peyton Thorne was phenomenal. He put the ball right where he needed to, and he had a bounce-back game. I think I was talking to you guys before the game that, yes, we knew Kenneth Walker was going to be fine, and he was going to be able to have a big game. But for Michigan State's season as a whole, they needed Peyton Thorne to bounce back from excuse me, from that rough game against Nebraska, and he did just that. He was on the money all night long. First game this season, he threw for at least 300 yards. First time, yeah, first time first since. Time. That was a career high, but that was the first time since last year's Penn State game in that 39-24 loss to the Nittany Lions. Zach, to your point, Michigan State comes in along 429 yards of total offense on average. That's the second worst mark in the Big Ten. But when you look at the box score, we called Braden Narvison's name more times than I think we were anticipating. The guy comes into the game with two field goals, and he kicks three field goals in the first half. Like, that's what you're talking about. As elementary as it sounds and as cliche as it sounds, you traded touchdowns for field goals. And Western Kentucky wants to beat you in a 45-40 to track meet. And with the exception of that fourth quarter, which Michigan State came a little bit unraveled when obviously Western Western Kentucky outscores Michigan State 15 to three. It was 42 to 16 and a half. And at that time, you don't want to say the game's over, but you're still up by four touchdowns. And there's not very many teams in college or in the NFL or in any league from Pop Warner up that are going to be able to come down from being behind by 26. And it goes back to that theme of, with the exception of the Nebraska game, I mean, even if you want to say, you know, that flea flicker two weeks ago from Walker to Thorne to Jaden Reed when Michigan State got that to go ahead 7 to nothing. when this team punches first and when they score first, they're undefeated in Mel Tucker's short tenure here at Michigan State. They look really, really good when they're the first one inflicting the pain. And the, the slow second half hasn't come back to beat them yet. And the bend but don't break defense is working. But I think one of these days, like if Bo Melton doesn't go for Rutgers, I would like to see more press coverage. Challenge Shameen Jones. Challenge Aaron Cruikshank. Challenge Isaiah Pacheco out of the backfield. Challenge some of these guys. But this was a game I was terrified about. And I knew Western Kentucky was going to get above 30. But Michigan State, I don't care who it's against. 48 points is 48 points. Right now, they're averaging dang close to 40 points on the season and I know they're not they've not gotten to the heart of their Big Ten schedule yet but that's encouraging 
That is very encouraging. This is a team that has the offensive firepower that we haven't seen from a Michigan State team all around in a while. We've had good running backs at Michigan State. There have been good receivers at Michigan State. But for this type of talent all around is just different. And Jaden Reed gives them something in the return game that Michigan State has not had in a long time. As soon as Jaden Reed got that football on the first punt return of the game, you could tell that he was doing something with it. When he took the return out of the end zone later in the game as a kick return, he only got it out to about the 30. But everyone in the stadium got on their feet as soon as they saw he was going to return the ball. That's just an element that Michigan State hasn't had since probably Keyshawn Martin back in 2011. One thing that concerns me, though, is I feel like Michigan State is much too reliant on these big plays. You know, they don't necessarily succeed in just driving the ball down your throat, marching all the way down the field. They're relying too heavily on these on these plays that aren't, you know, they come out of nowhere and before you know it, you know, they're up 14 nothing and I just I think they'll run into trouble when they start facing these ranked Big 10 teams. I would agree. I just for me, I feel like with the exception of that Nebraska second half, they haven't had a time where they haven't been able to get those big plays. Yeah. I mean, Miami a little bit, but Miami was more of they shot themselves in the foot because their offensive line couldn't block anything. And the same thing with the Nebraska second half to an extent, but also Peyton Thorne just didn't look right. This is a team that has had success doing that. And if they're able to continue to do that, great. But there's going to be a time when they can't. And then we're going to have to see that test, like you mentioned. Can they walk their way down the field? Can they manufacture a drive? And the answer is, I don't know yet. There are going to be any questions with any football team in any capacity in any. I was at Mel Tucker's thing yesterday, went back to media availability today. And you often hear coaches say, we're not content. We're guarding against complacency. We're this and that. We're on our players to make sure that we're taking it one step at a time and one game in a week and all that stuff. He, Him talking about it, there's the passion in his voice. Like his voice when there's something he's really passionate about goes up about five octaves. And he was, oh, if this person's not jogging off the field, we start early morning practice prep and all this at 6.30 in the morning. If they're here at 6.31, we got a big problem. Like he, there's not a lot of happiness. And he used the term productive anger like three or four more times yesterday. Like that's the new phrase of we've not arrived. We're not happy at all with where we need to be. But at the end of the day, you're 5-0. and I mean, for someone like me, there's not a lot of areas where I'm concerned where I'm worried about. Like, I think a lot of this now is almost nitpicking. No team's going to be perfect. Every team's going to have holes at X, Y, and Z. You know, every team's going to... Ideally, would you like to see Michigan State shrink down the all-line rotation and stop two platooning at every spot? Yes, I would. Would... Ideally, would you like to settle on a receiver rotation? Yes, I would. Like, I don't know why in the second quarter you just do a complete line shift and suddenly Montori Foster and Terry Lockett and... Um, Chris and Fitzpatrick are in the game. Like, would I like to see Keon Coleman not burn his red shirt just because he's been on special teams? Yes, I would. 
at the end of the day, you're averaging 38 points a game. 19th best mark in the country. You're only averaging, you're only giving up 20.6 points a game. That's the 39th best mark in the country. That's actually in the top third of all teams in the country. So they keep finding a way, man. Like I was, I was talking with Luke Sloan, our sports director after that game. I was scared for that game because I thought if Michigan state's offense gets stuck in neutral, like a track, like a John Deere tractor in a giant mud storm, ain't going to win this game. Because you can put Western Kentucky down for 31 against pretty much every team they play this year. And as Mel said after that game, Bailey Zappi's going to be playing in the NFL. The throws that he made on that deep go route, I don't. I think it was the Tinsley with Emmanuel Flowers trailing, or the deep fade he had. Oh, it was down. Stearns. It was Stearns. Yeah, okay. he, just blew, he just ran right by him. Or, or, the or it was Brantley, right, that, uh, that he just burned? Well, Emmanuel Flowers got toasted on one of them in the backcourt. Oh, the and right. then there was one where Kimbrough's going for the ball. On the far left sideline, mm-hmm. I mean, the throws that he had putting it in the bread basket, that is a good football team, a well-coached football team, and a football team that, frankly, I think is going to make some noise in CUSA this year. But you're 11th. You're yeah. 11th in the country, which I, I, I amazes me. I don't think anybody thought that. You got two more games coming up. I don't want to look too far ahead. But it, it's hard not – You're after Rutgers, you're halfway through the season. So it's not, this isn't Miami week anymore where you're three and out. It's like, oh, you know, let's take it a week at a time. You got two winnable games and then, oh boy, if, because Michigan State's probably going to be favored in the next two games, as mm-hmm. is Michigan. If they run the table, you're talking about some October 30th, possibly college game day. That's going to be a storybook for the ages in the annals of Michigan State, Michigan, but what else impressed you about Michigan State? What else worried about you, Zach? I see you got your hand up, so I'll kick it over to you. <laughs> yeah, I got to get called on like in class here. Um, no, what I was going to say was, for Michigan State, one thing that you're starting to realize is the more you win, the higher the stakes get. Every game that you win, the stakes for the next game become higher. And that will continue throughout the entire season. I mean, you beat Rutgers, that Indiana game becomes bigger. You beat Michigan... That Purdue game becomes bigger than the Michigan game because all of a sudden, you're 8-0. Or so on and so forth. And so, these games get more and more important the more this team wins. And that's just something to watch going forward because you mentioned it, Stearns, but they just find a way to get it done. And that Nebraska game, they had no business winning that game to an extent. Somebody, I don't remember who I was listening to, but somebody said this and I thought it made good sense. They did have business winning that Nebraska game. They did deserve to win that game because you deserve to win that game by making winning plays when it counts. And that's what they did. Mm-hmm. More like Jaden or he did. I mean, you get 27 well, agreed, to 12 but, in the first down category and you, you, agreed, you're but 200 yards less of offense. But and, Nebraska you know. shot themselves in the foot. Nebraska had a lot of penalties. They did not play well on special teams. And Michigan State made plays to capitalize on that. And... So they got dominated and still found a way to one to win the game. If you can do that, that's how you shoot up in the rankings. That's how, I mean, you mentioned it. Nobody thought this team was going to be this high. I mean, Stearns, we're calling a game with the number 11 team in the country this weekend. Yeah. And yeah. it's not the opponent. So that's not what was expected coming into this year. And it's just been a lot of fun to watch and to cover. Yeah, I'm one of those more optimistic people who's been really 
defending their case so far because obviously you have all the naysayers who, you know, they make good arguments. And I think the biggest concern is that the weight of Michigan State's schedule is all ahead of them. And they have not played a team that ha- that currently has a winning record right now. And, you know, obviously that that's why there's so many questions because this team that's that is going to be taking the field on Saturday, we don't know if it's going to be the same team five weeks from now um, in terms of their record, where they stand, and it it does – you know, bring about a lot of concerning questions. Um, but again, like I said, I'm one of those um, who's been more optimistic and they have found ways to win. They've won in different circumstances where they've been down, where they've had a big lead, where uh, they've had to hold off the opponent like they did against Western Kentucky the other night. And all I, all I can say is we'll have to see, so. Interesting statistic I found for you guys, and I actually was looking at this. There's a little playoff picture, week six thing, that ESPN updated. Michigan State's strength of record, and they take into account the conference, who the team you beat, beat, and who they've lost to, injuries, venue, the whole nine yards. It's the fourth best in the country. Because at the end of the day, you do have two conference wins. At the end of the day, you did beat a better ACC team when Derek King is healthy down in Miami. You did beat one of the better CUSA teams and one of the better, frankly, group of five schools in the country. The only game that I would consider a freebie or a cream puff was the Youngstown State game. You're not scheduling Northern Illinois and Akron and, I don't know, Central Connecticut State and Houston Baptist. Like, you're actually playing actual football teams, actual bowl caliber football teams. And that Nebraska game specifically... After the can of beat up, I was got to keep it PG that Nebraska had against Northwestern winning 56 to 7. That win looks a lot better. Like that Nebraska team, the farther on the season goes, I'm getting less and less concerned with how MSU looked against Nebraska. Because other than Illinois, and yes, that game was bad, you beat the tar out of Fordham. You did what you were supposed to do. Good teams beat Fordham by 40-something. You ran Buffalo off the field. You were close in the same ballpark down in Norman in Oklahoma and held Spencer Rattler, who's going to be right there for the Heisman Trophy consideration at the end of the year, to 23 points. You were this close to beating MSU, and then you go out at home and just absolutely demolish Northwestern, who's lost a lot of pieces but still Pat Fitzgerald's team. That's a better football team. And you can say whatever you want about, oh, they haven't played anybody. Oh, still 5-0. and oh. Still got three power five wins. You still have four decent Division one wins. And my own take on this personally, Aiden, is they're, in terms of their schedule being backloaded, I don't think it's backloaded until the final two weeks of the year. That Penn State, Ohio, I, those two games are going to be tough to win. But we're at the point now in the season where you can start getting a pulse of where teams are. You're through five weeks. You've played two conference games. You, you're, I don't know, it's five divided by 12, 40-something percent. You, you can start to see, okay, this is where this team is. This is where this team is. Right now, Rutgers looks mortal. They got blown off the mat against Ohio State. They didn't look prepared. Noah Vidro looked bad against Michigan. They 
their three wins come against Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware. Three teams, I don't think any any one of those teams is going to make a bowl game. Indiana doesn't have Michael Penix for the foreseeable future with that separated shoulder, and even if he does play, how healthy is he going to be? Then you have the Michigan game. Purdue doesn't look any, like anything special. And Maryland, as Maryland often does when they get a little bit of hype, just completely looks like a deer in the headlights against Iowa. There's an opportunity to really make some noise here. And I don't think it's too early to start saying, you know what, maybe this could go this way, maybe this could go this way. Maybe Like, you never want to predict the game three, four, five games out. But this isn't Michigan State playing Iowa, Penn State, and Ohio State in three consecutive weeks. They're not playing murderers row here. They have two games that, frankly, I think coming up, they should win. Agreed. But I'm still not confident enough in this team yet to say that I feel like this is a game that they can't lose and I've said this before I'll say it again Michigan State can beat any team on their schedule Michigan State can lose to any team on their schedule and I will continue to say that as long as this season goes because this offense has the potential to be so good but they also have the potential to really struggle if that offensive line struggles so I'm very curious to see how things go going forward and I think Michigan State fans breathed a sigh of relief, and you touched on it during the mm. broadcast, when Kenneth Walker comes back in the game. He's limping. You see him on the sideline with the athletic training staff getting the ankle taped and getting the ankle knocked back into shape. Comes in, comes up gimpy again. But when they needed him in crunch time, he comes back out, which makes me think, okay, he's good to go. And he came out and looked good. He did. He looked fine. And he and he really iced that, really iced that game, took time off the clock in the fourth quarter, and then ended up with... Matt Coglin's chip shot field goal, which made it a three possession game. And, you know, eventually it ends up being a 48 to 31 game. But with Elijah Collins out, with Harold Joyner still learning the playbook by running back coach William Piegler's own admission earlier today, he said, you know, we, we really like what Harold's doing. He really had a good second half of fall camp, but there's still some schematic stuff he's learning. And it's a, it's a big transition when you get on campus in late July and the season starts a month later. It's just a completely something that, you know, it doesn't help when Walker comes in and he's got two good years of football under his belt at Wake Forest and Jordan Simmons, who was Michigan State's rusher from a year ago. They need Kenneth Walker. Like, this is a deep position, but he does things that Jordan Simmons can't do. He does things that Harold Joyner can't do. The diving for the pylon after he hurdles a guy on the far sideline and then he follows that up the next drive with, like two consecutive jukes and then falls into the end zone when he's running off the left side when IJR Curie and Tyler Hunt and Connor Hayward are all down blocking. No other running back on that team can do that. And he's got to be healthy. And I'll be honest with you, as we were going through that broadcast, I'm like, okay, it's a close enough game. He's not out for two drives now. He's not out for three drives now. Like something seems a little off. So that was a big, big relief, I think, for every Michigan State fan because Mel didn't talk anything about his injury status, so I'm assuming he's good to go. He did say that, you know, Drew Beasley and um, Elijah Collins are sore and they'll be ready when they're ready. But at the end of the day, guys, this is an exciting season. This is the kind of season that I personally not had a big chance to cover. Um, You know, for those of you who don't know me, I covered field hockey for the station, and they were awful, didn't win a conference game. I think they were 0-8 in conference. Did softball, and they were like, I don't know, nine and 28 (laughs) women's basketball was okay, but that was 
that was the COVID year, but that was one of the only years they finished 500 at conference play. They weren't good like they were last year. There's been a lot of, you know, the, the Nathan effect on Michigan State sports teams. So you it's have a that lot, effect on people? Yes, I do. It is a lot more fun to cover a team when they're actually half decent. Yeah, this has been fun. Um, I'm enjoying it. The two football games I called last year were not great, but I was a part of the women's basketball beat as well as, uh, Champ, you were on that beat too. I mean, we went down to Indy for the Big Ten tournament for them last year, and they went on a run, and that was a lot of fun. This type of season is a lot of fun. I'm just enjoying the ride. I was excited going into it, I, no matter yeah. how many games we were going to win. But, I mean, just starting out 5-0, and um, it's, it's definitely been fun to watch uh, as reporters. Got to give credit to Antha, or Angelo Gross. Excuse me, he had 16 tackles. I put Sugar Weasel at 16 tackles. I don't know where that nickname comes from. Like, I do. I, where, where does it come from? So they were talking about it. It was a something that they talked about at the end of fall camp media availability. So Mel Tucker started calling Angelo Gross that because he said he reminds him of the honey badger, Tyron Matthew. And when he coached against him, and that's where... Uh, that's where he started giving that nickname to. What animal? What animals like a sh- like a badger? I guess a weasel kind of is. Oh, what's in the same ballpark as honey? Oh, maybe maybe sugar. Okay, I think a sugar go. weasel is like. That would be a nice mascot name. The Impact eighty nine FM sugar weasels. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's not. It, there is a. Oh, if you look up sugar yeah, weasel, I you just found did the same thing. something completely <laughs> different. Okay, yeah, that's the last time we're gonna look up sugar weasel for, for a little bit of time here. <laughs> Can we stop talking about the Heisman Trophy? Like, I, I'm not going to name five. I know I'm not going to name any reporters specifically, but on Media Day, on Tuesday, and today, people have asked Mel Tucker, Jalen Naylor, or Jaden Reed, excuse me, Peyton Thorne. Oh, um, do you guys think Kenneth Walker, Jaden Reed's in the running for, for um the Heisman? And how does that feel? And when you see those accolades, it's like, what do you think they're gonna say? They don't care. It's week five. Like, let's wait another four they, or five weeks. Like, I, I people need to stop with this crap and analyze the game and stop with the extra theatrics. Champ, didn't they ask Walker about that on Saturday at the press conference mm-hmm. after the game? And he said uh, he had Heisman written in his notes way back in March. And, you know, I, um, I don't know if that was like a media pleaser kind of comment or if that was actually true because he didn't have a whole lot to he back seemed, that I up. think that's the second time he's mentioned that. I think he said, oh, okay. I think if I remember seeing this right, um, a couple weeks ago he had said that in March he wrote down three goals and it was like... Yeah, Heisman National Championship. And Doak Walker, which is like the top uh, running back award because he said after he wrote down Doak Walker, he said he didn't want to settle there. He wanted to write down Heisman. And so... I don't know. Um, okay, I take that back. I bl- if he if he said it a few times, I will but... also say though, that guy is one of the nicest guys that I've interviewed. Kenneth Walker. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. so nice to interview. Mm-hmm. So nice to talk to. But he's been phenomenal to start this year, and it'll be interesting to see how they continue to move forward with that offense with him and Reed and Naylor, who doesn't really get talked about. He had eight catches for 127 Wait, yards? 128, I think. 128? Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, because Reed was four for 127. But Jalen Naylor has a lot of talent. He's a very, very good receiver, and nobody's talking about him. 
Because he's, he's been because he, he's been quiet. I mean, other than the yeah. Miami game where he had four catches for eighty two, it's been Mister. But the other thing is, teams are going to start game planning for Reed and Walker. And you game plan for Reed and Walker, you take those guys away. Michigan State still has Naylor. They still have Mosley. They've got guys that can make plays, and that is what's going to make a difference, I think, going forward. Yeah, no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. It would just bother me as a coach personally. Like you got to trust that your players can tune that stuff out. But it's like, you know, I I appreciate you guys coming here. As a member of the media myself, it's like, you know, it's week five. We're not focused on individual accolades. We're not focused on making sure that Kevin Jarvis plays so many snaps at right guard so he can qualify as an all-Big Ten honorable mention selection. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. People care about winning. And I'm a lot more concerned with where this team goes on a week-by-week basis. And I, I truly believe Mel and that entire team's like that, too. Like, you read about it, you kind of... You know, chuckle, you shake your head at it if you're Walker, if you're Reed, but I don't think they're enter- they're seriously entertaining that, and I don't think it's something that they're, frankly, wasting a whole lot of time in, and I don't think it's something that's keeping them up at night. This is the final thing before we transition to more of more general Big Ten talk, but I saw what Mel said, and I was in the room when what he said about Kale Holiday, and I, I almost lost it at the Big Ten. He talked to... The Big Ten director of officiating, his name's Bill something. I, I don't know his his last name, but he said basically what Mel said was it was a judgment call. And once it's a judgment call, nothing the Big Ten can do. That, you know, that's that. Sorry, not sorry. You know, he, he, Mel said nothing about whether the director of officiating said it was the right call, wrong call, but it has to be an appeals process. And this targeting crap is, get, is driving me closer and closer to the brink of insanity like why why the powers that be don't think that oh you know what maybe we should have a flagrant run system flagrant two system like we have for basketball where you know intentional hard contact warrants a more grave penalty than unintentional hard contact first of all if that's the play that you're trying to eliminate in football put pillows on them for god's sakes so what i understood from tucker's quote he didn't say but he did he mentions that he wanted to know if they needed to change anything in the way they were coaching how to tackle, and they said no, which means they basically said, our bad, we screwed up, that's not targeting. Because if there was something wrong with it, then he would have told them, and there would have been a thing they needed to change in the coaching of the tackle. And I know you guys can't see my air quotes that I just did oh, while I you're can. listening. Yeah, well, no. I know you can, but I, <laughs> I see, people I see listening. all. See, the people listening eye. can't see my air quotes. But <laughs> I thought you were talking to me. No. Not, uh, oh. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so I think that the Big Ten kind of admitted it without admitting it, or Tucker didn't the want to say that they admitted he... it. But it's a. I agree with you wholeheartedly. They need a system like that. And I think it might be coming because everyone really seems to be calling for it. I know the NCAA really wants the players to change how they're tackling to avoid this penalty because it's safety thing. But I think you need, well, and I think you need the, I think you need that uh, flagrant one, flagrant two, because the, the original intentions of targeting, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think you should be able to just blow up a guy's head and knock it to the other end of the field. I mean, that shouldn't be allowed. But the way that it's gotten to now, I think it's a big problem. It's gotten out of hand. Yeah. I mean, there's just no consistency. It's like a charge and a block in basketball sometimes. 
you don't know what's going on. And it's never called the same way twice. I mean, no. we were up on the broadcast and had no idea what the call was going to be. We said it. I said, you guys at home, your guess is as good as mine. I'm watching the play on a huge screen. And your guess is as good as mine. And sure enough, we were wrong. Well, and it gets to be tricky because it's forcible contact to the head or neck area, but then it gets to be, well, they didn't use, it's not helmet to helmet contact. Well, what if they roll up the shoulder and they're going for the ball on the ground or something like that? There's a lot of variables. The one thing that Mel did say though, is that I, like he said, I disagree with it like five or six times, which I don't know if like what that means, but I just, I call bull bleep to the entire Big Ten conference for saying there's nothing we can do. Sure you can Who's going to fight you on it? I don't think you're the, the Big, Big Ten, Ten. I don't think the Big Ten. It's, I don't think it's a Big Ten decision, though. I think it's NCAA. I think the NCAA is like the top authority on that. Uh, yeah. One of them can. One of them has. Oh, they can. They just won't. the authority exactly because That's if what... they do, then they open up a whole other can of worms. Because then you have every coach is going to appeal every targeting call, and then it's a mess. Well, so be it. Also, so be it. I mean, also, you're... can we talk about how stupid it is? That if you do this, you get a penalty, or you're out for the first half of the next yes. game. I mean, somebody suggested they do it like cards. Like a like in soccer, like a red card and a yellow card. And so, like, you do it your first one, and it's like your yellow card type thing. If you do your second one, they used to do that with unsportsmanlikes, right? I'm not just making that up in the crevice no, of did. my head. they did. They did one unsportsmanlike, and then if you get your second one, you're ejected. You should do that. And also, why does this game affect next game? Well, the thing that the thing that kills me in this just and this is about all sports and this is why like if Eric Bach was here who was a former if I used to shred him I hate officials I hate <laughs> them <laughs> I hate them they ruin games I freaking hate officials I hate MLB umpires I hate NFL umpires they're not as bad I think MLB umpires have way too much bloody power Mark Carlson Ooh. was horrible behind the plate you shouldn't be you shouldn't be able to unilaterally eject them the the Nance GM. For not wearing a mask in his press box. Remember that? With Mike Rizzo and Joe West and Hunter Wendelstadt? I vaguely remember you seeing shouldn't. that. You're right in that respect. I just, I'm against the robot umpires in baseball, but that's a whole other debate that no. we don't need to get into. And like, I, I, I hate officials in any sport because you know what? There's no accountability. None. Like, there's absolutely no accountability. You get thousands and thousands of dollars to screw everybody else over <laughs> and you don't get punished for it. Like you being an idiot directly affects Michigan State's chances of beating Rutgers and your response, oh, my bad. So, you guys have to live with it. Nothing's going to happen. There's going to be no point of emphasis. These officials, nothing bad's going to happen to them. It's the same thing in MLB. If you, if you look back and watch Doug Eddings versus the the Padres, a couple games he had where he missed like 17 or 18 just, strike calls. Just watch and then Angel he's umpiring the And then he's umpiring the NLDS. No accountability. No. Just, just watch Angel Hernandez. These boobs can screw up as many times as they want and nothing happens. And it pisses me off. Hate officials. Hate them. <laughs> Bring in the robots. At least that way there's some degree of freaking ambiguity. Completely against the robots, but just wanted to make sure the record stated that. All right, before I throw something <laughs> We're going to have the... another Volcano Stearns eruption <laughs> no, this time? <laughs> no, I just... This is the Nathan hate mail on officiating. <laughs> Some Big Ten scores from last week. Michigan murders Wisconsin 38-17. to Penn State kills Indiana 24-7. I love all the violent imagery I decided to use for this. Like, I, I just... I, I wrote this down not kill, even kill. thinking. <laughs> like, I, 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 wrote, I wrote this down not even... Um, the KD for Stearns is pretty high today. 
Well, it's funny. Like, I wrote this down, and I'm not even thinking about the scores of my word choice or anything. <laughs> Iowa, um, all right, I wrote kill again. Iowa, um, spanks Landamary, 51 to 14. <laughs> Landamary? Illinois beats Charlotte, 24 to 14. I put pain in all small letters because Charlotte was the school I was going to go to if I didn't get into Michigan State. Nebraska destroys Northwestern, 59 to 7. Minnesota beats Purdue, 20 to 13 on the road. I have no idea how after losing to Bowling Green. Purdue is a very, very football program after beating Illinois by four at home and then laying a giant on the road. Okay, that in your headset is the weirdest sensation in your ears. And then Ohio State beats Rutgers 52-13. And we get into the most nonsensical portion of the podcast. I went in a little bit of a different direction with the names of this, which is great, is the only returning member of the podcast I can make this is much of a show as I want. The SRZ 615 flight at Capital Region Airport Offensive Player of the Week. I went with Bailey Zappi for Western Kentucky because at the end of the day, anytime any college quarterback in four quarters throws for bloody near 500 yards, I was going to say something else, but I can't, on 46 passing attempts with three scores, it's impressive. What he did against a good Michigan State defense with a Florida corner, an Alabama corner, a really talented three-star corner in Charles Brantley was impressive. He made throws on the run when he was in the pocket, down the field vertically that no other quarterback has made against Michigan State all year. Like that Emmanuel, when Emmanuel Flowers got burned, I mean, he didn't really get burned. He was a step behind Jarrett Stearns. But if that throws just behind him, Flowers gets to it. If it's just ahead of him, it leads him out of the back of the end zone. You had the fade route, and I... Might have been to Tinsley or somebody, but I all I remember is Kimbrough's like right there in the ball, like literally grazes past his hand and right into the breadbasket. Like the throws that he made were throws that you have to make in the NFL. And he might be the best pure quarterback talent other than CJ Stroud that this team's gonna play all year. Like he is a very good football player, and that's a heck of a find for Tyson Helton. Um all right, my selection is Mississippi State's Will Rogers. Mississippi State upset Texas A&M this weekend. Huge win for them. Um, Rogers had 408 passing yards and three touchdowns and was a co-SEC Offensive Player of the Week. So kudos to him. I'm going to stay in the SEC because, obviously, if it's not SEC, it's not football, right? Um, I'm going to go Hendon Hooker, the quarterback for Tennessee, the Volunteers have been all over the place this year, but they dropped 62 on the road in Columbia against Missouri. It was 15 of 19, 225 yards, three touchdowns. Also had 80 rushing yards and another touchdown there. Just a strong overall performance and something you don't expect from Tennessee very often. So I had to give them a shout out for that one. Story time, my friends. This is the SRZ Aiden Sock Defensive Player of the Week, and I don't even know if he knows where I'm going with this. I don't. Can you explain that? When we went down to, was it, oh, I think it was oh, Northwestern. Yeah, I remember this. And then I'm I'm doing my laundry back home in Celine, like, in my, I'm like, what the, where the dupe did I get this sock from? And I'm like, oh my God, this is, that's why I texted yeah, you. Yeah, he texted like, in the group chat, and I was like, uh, it's yeah. not mine. And, and then it's his. <laughs> so I put it in, I actually, I, I got to remember to give it to him because I put it in my front suitcase for Rutgers this week. Like, there's the part of me that's like, it's one sock, but then there's a part of me that's like, that's Aiden's sock. It's not my sock. <laughs> I didn't pay for it. I didn't will, I didn't relinquish 
He didn't relinquish ownership to it, but the Aiden Sock <laughs> Defensive Player of the Week is Big Ten officiating. And the only reason why Don't I Don't rant again. I, this isn't a rant. This is a fact. All right. The officiating crew for the Big Ten single-handedly has taken Michigan State's probably second or third best defender out of commission for the first half against Rutgers. So Rutgers and Noah Vidral... Um, the Big Ten did you guys a big favor, you know, for better or for worse. So thanks, Big Ten officiating for once again bleeping over MSU. I didn't know that they had Bull Borowski running around in football stripes on <laughs> Saturday evening. Whenever anyone talks about Big Ten officiating, Bull Borowski is the only the guy's a clown. thing that comes to my Get head. Clown. Clown. <laughs> Might as well dress him up as flipping Ronald McDonald for Halloween <laughs> and have him run around with the stupid clown nose and the like white paint on his face. So mine is the Iowa defense, all of them. Uh, Iowa's defense is phenomenal right now, and it'll kind of tie into my Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week in just a minute. But just if you ever want to see a defense that is ridiculous, look at Iowa. I mean, they lead the nation in interceptions forced in the last few years. It's like 80-something in since like 2017. It's just ridiculous how many interceptions this team gets. And it happened again as they dominated Landmary, as Stern says. All right, Mr. Champion, over to you. All right. Um, you two announcers are going to have to correct me if I mispronunciate here. So uh, Nebraska's JoJo Doman. Is that it? How yep, you sp- Doman. Doman, okay. Yep, he had 10 tackles, uh Three tackles for loss, two sacks for a loss of 19 yards, and was the co-defensive player of the week for the Big Ten. Huge game for him and for the Huskers um, beating Northwestern. Woo. Woodley, yeah. woo. Woo, woo, woodley. Woodley, it's, woodley, woodley. It only is notable that they beat Northwestern because they dropped 56 on Northwestern. Yeah. Wow. All right, for the SRZ Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame Unit of the Week. You guys wonder how I got this little spot on my arm? I heard about it. I heard what happened. (laughs) I did not. Hold on. What? I saw your your statement in the doc, and I was just like, what is he talking about? It involves tacos, I know. Yeah, I was was putting some taco in my burner, like... Props to Prime Housing. I sent the, like the mechanic over, not not mechanic, whatever you call a person that works on an oven, maintenance man, like four or five times. Oh yeah, the burner works good. It's like, yeah, I know the burner works good. The problem is whenever you put it on 400, it burns at 550. Can you fix that? Well, no, you're just going to have to adjust. Remind me why they pay you again? Like, oh yeah, the burner works good. I know the burner works good, but it burns 125 degrees too bloody fast. 400 to 550 is 150, by the way. I, that's, I wasn't good at math. That's why you're not a math major, well, right? And, Isn't yeah, that what and, you said on the broadcast? Well, anyway, I, I put some taco <laughs> shells in my thing, and I didn't think they fell, right? And then all of us, I go back five minutes later, between five and ten minutes, I open the oven door and just a plume of smoke, and I'm like, oh, this is nice. One of the taco shells is split in half. is on fire in the back corner of the oven. That's <laughs> awesome. So then, like, I take Luke's oven mitt, and, like, I start, like, smacking it, like a flipping, I don't even know. And like meanwhile, like I'm in the back trying to get it. And the oven is still hot. And so as I'm reaching, like I'm trying to make sure that my oven doesn't hit the the burner coils while I'm, you know, in the back trying to smack the thing down. So I did get, um, it did hit the burner coils briefly and I have the, the thing to prove it. But the good thing was didn't burn down the apartment. I came damn close. I didn't completely destroy his oven mitt. There's like a 
like giant scuff mark like right through the middle of it where you can see where i was whatever <laughs> and what was even worse was i yank the taco shells out like with the oven that like throw them go all over the floor and then my oven's on fire so that was just an absolutely wonderful time liam but, said you had to throw the mitt in the toilet it do- well i did because it was like sizzling it was like it was like gurgling and, sizz- and it was like black and it was like smoky you couldn't and puffy. Have put it in a sink I didn't think of, oh, because there was taco shells and everything everywhere. And I'm no like, I need water. To think. <laughs> Just toilet. I'm in the water. So I threw it in the toilet and I don't think, I don't think Luke knows that part. So we'll <laughs> oh, keep, we'll, we'll keep. My bad. Now he knows. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't listen to this. Sometimes uh, he does. But um, anyway, that was my nice little, it should have, it was damn close to being the SRZ Nathan Stearns Memorial House frame of the week. <laughs> Nathan Stearns House Memorial. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, because Joey's not dead. No. But yeah. Nathan's house almost was. Well, I was gonna say there was a there was a microwave that I lit on fire when I was a kid, so <laughs> you don't you don't heat up chicken nuggets in the oven on high or in the microwave on high for forty five minutes. They will light on fire. <laughs> and you will open the door and they will be charred black. Like they, they get like really tiny. I'm like kinda surprised they still existed at that point. <laughs> Good point. But uh pretty... my powerhouse frame of the week is to his little brother Talia Tongue of Iloa, because what he did was just mind-blowing, his statistics. Entering that game against Iowa, there were 106 quarterbacks in the country with more interceptions than Tua's little brother, Talia. I don't know why I keep calling him Tua's little brother. Than Talia in the country. After that game, he is 106th in the country in interceptions. Came in with one interception, threw five in that game, and now has six. And that's just mind-blowing to me. That just gives me vibes of... uh. Out there seeing ghosts playing the Patriots defense. That was Sam Darnold, right? Who? Am I completely losing my mind? Sam Darnold seeing ghosts against the Patriots? Yeah, no, it was. Don't yeah, that me. is uh, Nathan Stern's favorite quarterback of all time. Um, But yeah, it was just rough to watch that. Also, if you didn't watch the game and didn't see uh, Demas, Maryland's receiver's injury, don't look it up. Please, you will have nightmares for the rest of your life. That was awful. Um, all right. My powerhouse frame of the week goes to Pace. Um, Pace finally got me after, uh, in my senior year after never getting a parking ticket ever. Ah. They got me today, put a bit of a dent in my day. But um, you know what? I That's on me, but... Uh, I gotta say, I'm impressed with myself for. I was gonna say, congrats to you. I didn't even yeah. make it through my freshman year without getting a parking ticket from MSU. Yeah. So, if um, if anybody wants to help teach me how I can pay that, that'd be great because I have no idea. Or if anyone wants to uh, donate to the Aiden Champion needs to pay his parking ticket uh, fund. Oh yeah, right. it wasn't much. I'll pay <laughs> oh, it. I'll just mess with you. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector from the Bible? Yes. This is why people hate you. There's <laughs> wide open parking spots. Like, I got a $15 ticket, like, three weeks ago for parking on the third level of ComArts. Mm-hmm. Oh, at, they like, finally got you? Yeah, and, and my, here's my response. Um, Nobody, there was 50 open parking spots. Nobody's using them. Who the bleep am I taking parking away from? They gotta like, make money. Yeah, right. Well, you don't think my, me paying $50,000 in tuition is not good enough for them? 
Uh, no, I it's mean, not. Holy mo- I guess it's they not. are evil. There's not enough parking on this campus as is, and the only two parking passes that him and I can get are at Lot 89, two miles that way. That's where I park. Like it's <laughs> every day. Crap. It's rough. Like this place sucks with that crap. <laughs> like there's three oh, parking brother, spots. This guy stinks. There's. Like, oh my God, God forbid he's by himself on the roof where nobody else parks. Like, what difference does it make? Was it like if, if, if I, I would get it if I was parking in the fire lane or if I was parking like at faculty parking? I get that. That's fair. But what's not fair is when you're on the third floor, it's 95% empty. Oh, you can't use that there. Well, nobody used it for three weeks. Nothing. You can't use it. Yeah. Like, people need to get a real job. And I, 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 when I appealed, I said, you bleepholes need to stop taking money away from you hardworking. You appealed the ticket? Yeah. Did you get it? No. Oh. No, I that didn't. That would have been so nice if they would have accepted and your normally, appeal. Oh, I, normally, I wouldn't pay for it. My friend actually got a ticket for parking in Armstrong. I don't even remember. Was it two years ago? And I They got him on sub-technicality, completely ignored it. He, doesn't, he didn't go to Michigan State. So he's like, ah, they're going to let it go. No, they don't. You know what they do? They look up your address, call the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Department, and then drive to your house in Chelsea and say that if you don't pay the $15 ticket, they're going to issue an arrest warrant, a bench <laughs> warrant. Like, don't these bleep holes have anything better to do? God forbid when you have to hold your admins accountable for all the stupid crap they've done for five years, but you want to expose as much money and steal as much money from hardworking <laughs> students as you possibly can. Well, it's always... In some aspects, this freaking university stinks. Oh, it's always about... Pisses me off. <laughs> I'm not even going to anymore. <sighs> I'll just let you go. More stars. money. Yeah, we need more money. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sitting on a bloody oil mine under my apartment floor. I can continue to afford paying more money. I had, a, I had something I was going to say, but I'm just going to let it be with Stearns' <laughs> rant now. <laughs> we can move on from there. <laughs> this week in the Big Ten. <laughs> Dude, we're not... We spent probably 20 minutes ranting... We started recording early, and I still think we might be uh, cutting it for time based on everything we've still got to get to. This week in the Big Ten, Maryland travels to Ohio State. Michigan travels down to Lincoln and take on Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Big one of the weekend, Penn State travels to Iowa in what could very well be a early Big Ten championship preview. Michigan State travels to Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, Minnesota, and Northwestern all off this week. Rutgers preview time, boys. We got into a got into it a little bit earlier, but this is a very very winnable game for me. Last two weeks, Rutgers hasn't looked like a football team, and I wrote it's amazing how Rutgers doesn't look good when they aren't playing Temple, Syracuse, or Delaware. Like maybe Rutgers, the, the Rutgers front seven just needs to imagine that Dewan Mathis is going to be quarterback every time because they did a Bloody good job stopping him in the first game, but Noah Vidral, the former Nebraska transfer who started last year at Rutgers, did did some things relatively well. Comes into the game with six touchdowns, three picks. His he hasn't thrown for over 160 yards in four out of five games. He does have 151 rushing yards on 41 carries on the season. Doesn't have a lot of arm strength. Is not an air raid threat. If Rutgers does not have Bold Melton, I put that is huge in all caps because it is. He's their leading receiver in catches and receptions, has 24 catches for 250 yards, despite the fact he missed 90% of the game against Ohio State. He led the team last season with 47 catches for 638 yards. That was the fifth best mark in the entire conference. 
this Rutgers offense just doesn't have a lot of proven offensive weapons. They don't have a core of, you know, as much as I hate saying you take Kenneth Walker out of the equation, you still have Jordan Simmons. You still have Jalen Naylor. You still have Jaden Reed. You still have Connor Hayward. Other than Isaiah Pacheco and Shameen Jones and Brandon Sanders and Aaron Krukshank, who had that nice 75-yard score against Ohio State uh, last week, there's just not a lot of talent at the skill position players for this Rutgers team, and there's not a lot of guys that I look at and say, yep, they're game beaters. Yeah, this offense is going to be interesting, but... I mean, there's a lot of talk about Rutgers beating Michigan State last season and putting up 38 points and everything. MSU turned the ball over seven times in that game. Yes. And, and still Jane had Reed a fumbled chan- it twice, yeah. And Naylor fumbled a couple times too, one and once or twice. But they still had a chance to win that game, Michigan State did, late in the game. And they turned it over seven times. So this is a game Michigan State should win. Michigan State is the more talented team. Michigan State is the better all-around team, but Rutgers will be good in the next few years. Greg Schiano is a very good coach. Well, look at their recruiting. They're 18th right. at 247. They are winning back the, the Northeast with New yeah. Jersey, New York. They're making like serious inroads at Paramus. And... Yeah. Rutgers is going to be good over the next few years, but I just don't think this is that team yet. There's definitely a lot of talent on this team on both sides. Isaiah Pacheco was dangerous last season when these two teams played. And I think he's going to be a big spot. Bo Melton is definitely huge. And another thing that's big is if Raekwon O'Neal can't go, he's been their starting left tackle. That's something that is to watch because as Michigan State fans, better than anyone know, if your O-line's not right and if your O-line can't stay healthy, it is not good for you. No, and it, I mean, it, it works for Michigan State because you have nine guys that well, have right now experience. Does, yeah. but I just meant over the past few years. And the reason they have nine guys with experience is because they haven't been able to stay healthy in the last decade. I think uh, with every game that comes at Michigan State, they there's something they need to prove um, every week. And I think for this week, it's being able to keep their foot on the pedal from start to finish, they I mean, they did it against Youngstown State, but it's Youngstown State. And yes, this Rutgers team is a pretty inferior opponent, but still, they're on the road. It's, it's still a Big Ten road game. <clears throat> I just, that's what they need to do. And even if they, if they play their worst game of the year, they should still win this game. And I think, yeah, it's... I think so, Stearns. <laughs> I don't know if they play like they did against Nebraska and they don't score. They don't have a first Nebra- That is Nebraska, though. And we've seen Nebraska's. Uh, gonna, solid. Well, you you just said if they play their worst game of the year. If they do I not mean, have a first down against Rutgers in the second half, they will not win. Unless they're up 30. Okay. If they have 14 yards of total offense, they will not win in the second half. Because Rutgers doesn't get blown out if you're not Ohio State. This isn't Chris Ash's Rutgers team that lost 21 games in a row in conference before beating Michigan State. You know, this isn't what was Noel Campa, what's his face, Campa Nuzia, or I can't remember his name, but it was something along those lines. They went three and six last year. They beat Maryland on the road. They beat Michi, They beat MSU on the road. They went at home and should have beat Michigan before losing in three overtimes, 48 yeah, to 42. Yeah, that one. This is a better Rutgers team, but there's just not 
there's not a lot of guys when you go up and down the roster and like are you know are going to kill you like I'm you know looking at the depth chart right now. Shameen Jones, Isaiah Washington, Joshua Youngblood, Brandon Sanders. Okay, great. You're all backups. Like Bo Melton's the one guy who's proven on a consistent basis. Cruikshank's got some talent. You know, uh, they, they got some guys on the outside that can beat you in a variety of ways, but it's they don't have the one guy that's proven that they can do it consistently. Where I'm more concerned is on the defensive side of the ball. If you haven't looked up the name Alakunle Fadukasi, this kid is a monster in the middle of the defense. He leads Rutgers with 43 tackles, led the conference last year with 101 tackles. When you talk about a sideline-to-sideline linebacker who penetrates the backfield really well, who's a gap stuffer, who's sound in his run fits, who gets back in coverage, and is quick enough to guard running backs on wheel routes, but it's still physical enough to guard tight ends on seam routes, he is a really, really, really good um, really good defender in the middle of that Scarlet Knight defense. They got some guys. I mean, Julius Turner had a good year last year. Christian Ezian, strong safeties, got some tail. Avery Young, Trey Avery. They have guys that were Big Ten honorable mention selections, but there's just it, it's a lot of like good players, but not one great guy. And a team that's you know sixty percent good, twenty five percent mediocre, and twenty five percent can't imagine they're beating MSU. Like this to me is a how do I put this? Other than Purdue and Indiana, I, I this might be the most winnable game you have in conference. I'm not I'm not very high on Rutgers. I mean, I know it's early, not horribly high on them. I don't, still went three and six. Like you can talk about them making progress. Still went three and six last year. Still, Michigan played awful two weeks ago. Still won by seven. I I agree. I don't think I'd put Indiana in that category yet. Um, I would put Maryland there before I'd put Indiana there. Um, Indiana is a very, very talented team that has struggled. And even without Penix, they still have talent. Ty Freifogel's a game breaker. I'd say Peyton Hendershot's pretty good, too. Yeah. So that team can still beat you. I think that this is a game that Michigan State needs to win. Um, and as I said before, every game Michigan State wins, the stakes get higher. Yes. And this is a game you got to take care of business. And then it raises the stakes even more. So... You can't look ahead to the next one because the next one only matters if you win this one in today's landscape of college football. Well, and you want to talk about Heisman trophies and, you know, you, contending for Big Ten championships. You lose this game, it gets over before it even starts. Correct. You know what I mean? You're two and one, and then you got Ohio State and Penn State, and by that time you can, you know, pretty much bury the whatever. Did you guys see Greg Schiano's thing about keep chopping and, oh, we've been doing that for a long time and yada, 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 and this, that, and the other, and... I mean, in their uh, it defense, was kind of a low, low blow. In their defense, I mean, they have been like it's on all their game notes, it's on their website, it's on everything. But it doesn't really matter. Nobody cares. Everybody says the same things all the time, yeah. so nobody cares. But I do like Shiano, though, and I will tell you this about his team: this is a guy who had five bull wins, and before he left for Tampa Bay, had five, eight or more win seasons in those final six years at Rutgers. Yes, when they were when they were still in the Big East. They play hard. They do not roll over. Under Chris Ash, that team looked like they didn't want to be there. It was like, why? Like, can, can we just go home now? Like, looked like they didn't have a care in the world. Looked ill-prepared. Looked just like a, like a high school JV team at times. This team plays hard every single time. They will give you everything that they have. 
The reason why they can't win more is a lot of it's just a talent aspect. It's just an athleticism aspect. It's just your it's a personnel aspect. But they will punch you in the mouth. And frankly, from a coaching style aspect, from a disposition aspect, I think Shiano's the most comparable sort of doppelganger to Mel Tucker. They both talk about keep pounding. They both talk about the meat and potatoes program. They're both screamers. Like when Greg Schiano was in Tampa Bay, he got ran out of Tampa Bay pretty quickly because he figured out you can't treat professional athletes that are 30 with three kids like an 18-year-old. <laughs> but they're both on the way up. You know what I mean? They're both, they both had some success. Obviously, Michigan State reached higher heights than Rutgers ever did. But Rutgers was a good football team in the latter half of Schiano's tenure. And then, you know, everything kind of blows up in their face. But they're, they compete a lot on the recruiting trail and they're they're very similar personality wise they're both the king of coach speaker kings of coach speak so Rutgers is comparable to Michigan State in a lot of ways in the fact that they play hard they try not to beat themselves there's positions where there's just not a lot there but you are going to get guys who believe in what he's saying who believe in the message that he's trying to get and I mean the proof is in the pudding with how good they're doing in recruiting and with winning New Jersey and winning New York and winning Massachusetts and winning that geographic area, just like Michigan State's been trying to do with the Midwest. I think, um, you know, you both keep saying this is a game they should win, but this is also just a game they they need to play well in. Uh, these past couple of weeks, they've let up in the second half, and, you know, there's been talk of the old line, there's been talk of the secondary, but... <clears throat> They they need to play well all around to keep a good momentum going into Indiana and then the bye week and then obviously everybody's favorite game. Um and that I mean Stearns, you touched on that earlier, that if both teams go into that seven and zero, that's just Who East Lansing's gonna burn to the ground. Yeah. It, so, it will not be a good time to be a couch. In you East will, I was gonna say you will either Drink people will either drink themselves into oblivion after the game in happiness or drink themselves into oblivion yeah. in despair. Yeah, couches will be burned either way. in joy or couches will be burned in anger, but Cedar Village will have at least one couch burned on October 30th, especially if it's a night game. I guarantee it. Well, and you got, and no matter point, what, I was going to say, are. at that point, you're going to have two 4 0 Big Ten teams and. If they can get there. Yeah, well, if they – and again, they should be favored. Like, if they do yes. what they are supposed to do, this isn't talking about – if Michigan State pulls a rabbit out of their hat, you know, sings the Canadian National Anthem with a glass of chocolate milk on their head and summons the ghost of Justin Trudeau, they could beat Ohio State. Like, <laughs> like that's – like, they don't have to do anything crazy each of the next two weeks, but it does start off beating Rutgers. This yeah. is a – and this is a team that, like, like Nebraska – kind of fighting for their bold lives right now. They lose this game, they're 3-2. and two. You started off 3-0, and oh, you're now 3-2, and two. you still got to play Penn State. I, I haven't looked at their schedule up and down, but you can't afford to go 3-3 three and three for your bowl hopes. Like, getting to a bowl game is the same thing that we talked about for our expectation for Michigan State. Same thing with Rutgers. You have to keep improving. They improved from being a like a complete pile of dog poo on the side of the road to a polished turd last year to maybe graduating to pull-ups this year. Who knows? Well, and they still have... They've got winnable games in the next few weeks after this. Honestly, they have a pretty light schedule the rest of the way because they already played Ohio State. Yes, they have to play Penn State, but they've got Northwestern, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, and then Penn State, and then Maryland. 
So that's a stretch because they've already played Ohio State and Michigan. So Rutgers has a good chance to get some momentum going. This is going to be a desperate team. Also, off topic a little bit, but their game notes has this kickoff listed as a 12.01 p.m. kick. And I have no idea why they would put twelve oh one. Sort of like twelve oh five or twelve oh six, which is what. You're yeah, or like. even or even noon, like the week after it says noon, but it says a twelve oh one p.m. kick. Things we love to see. It. Anyway, um, you know, it, it's just going to be an it, it's going to be an interesting game to see. We haven't really seen Michigan State suffer a hangover, so to speak. But you got your one free win out of the way. There's. You want to be a good football team, there's going to be one or two games that you're going to have to win where you have no business winning. You already burned one of your chances against Nebraska. So, on paper, this is a game Michigan State should win. I'm excited to see how Ma Oteote and Ben Van Sumeren, along with Noel Harvey, play in that Mike linebacker spot with Cal Holiday out in the first half. Holiday still, despite being thrown out with a quarter and a half remaining, still was second on the team with 10 tackles. Still help to turn the pace of the play of the game when you have the tackle for loss, then you have the strips, you have the fumble recovery, and the forced fumble. So that's a big loss to the middle of that Michigan State defense. But the one good thing is you have enough experience with Noah Harvey, who started all seven games at the Michael linebacker spot last year and started five games at you know every single linebacker spot imaginable the year before at the Will and the Sam. You got guys to recover it, but it is a game you should win. And talking about games and picks and all this other stuff, we get to the final portion of SRZ, to the portion where Aiden's really bad, I'm bad, and Zach is decent. After a another wah-wah-wah sort of week for me, um, I'm 13-15, and 15, Zach is 17-11, and 11, and Aiden brings up the rear at 10-18. and 18. I'm going to actually pull up the dock from a week ago, because I, other than Georgia, I'm trying to think, I got Georgia right, I got Bama right, I screwed up on MSU, I vastly overestimated the capacity of Wisconsin, you know, part of that's that, and part of it's I just can't stand giving Michigan credit for absolutely anything, even though as much as it pains me to say it, that was an impressive win over Wisconsin, I don't care who it is. Michigan is a very good team, Wisconsin is a very bad team, both things can be true. Yes. I right, let's, all right. So I screwed up Arkansas, Georgia. Wait, no. No, you got that right. I, I picked, did get that uh, right. Yeah. I picked against Cincy Georgia. at Notre Dame. Screwed that up. Michigan on the road versus Wisco. Screwed that up. Ole Miss versus Bam. I got that right. Ohio State at Rutgers. Got that right. Minnesota at Purdue. We all screwed that up. In Minnesota, or MSU versus Western Kentucky, I was obviously a little too confident in the Hilltoppers' ability. But this is the week. <laughs> this is the week, folks, when I finally get back on track. We start off with the annual Red River rivalry. Oklahoma travels down to Austin to take out the number 21-ranked Texas Longhorns. Oklahoma currently four-and-a-half-point favorites. Over to you, Mr. Sertnick. Um, Give me Texas. Bijan Robinson is really talented over there, and Oklahoma has not been playing well, which means that inevitably... Spencer Rattler's probably going to have 65 touchdowns in this game. But I'm going to take Texas. I think that if Oklahoma does win this game, they win it by a field goal late. See, I'm conflicted because I never trust Texas in bigger games because they are the Michigan of the South in that every year it's, oh, da-da-da-da, we're going to do this, da-da-da-da, and we don't end up doing anything. 
But you're absolutely right. I got to go with the Longhorns here too. I haven't been impressed with Oklahoma at all, or I haven't been impressed with Oklahoma at all. They looked mortal against Nebraska. Didn't play particularly particularly well against Kansas State or West barely. Virginia. Yeah, I was gonna say they beat West Virginia at home, sixteen to thirteen. They've had three weeks in a row where they have played subpar football, and Texas puts seventy on Texas Tech. Texas can score, and I can see Bijan Robinson running up and down. That Oklahoma defense all day long. I I got to go with the Longhorns here too. In Austin, prove to me that you can actually get off the mat and look like a college football playoff contender, and then I'll start picking you again. Yeah, you guys. I mean, you basically covered it all with Oklahoma, and just pretty much being disappointed these past three weeks. I got to give it to the Longhorns this week. We would like to issue our official apologies mm. to the University of Texas because we have now guaranteed that you will lose the game when we <laughs> all pick against, or when we all pick you. So, from Impact 89FM, we are sorry. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to lose much sleep over who Michigan State Radio picks <laughs> no, they're on, not, a, but... on a podcast. Arkansas currently six point uh, underdogs as they travel to Ole Miss. Over to you, Mr. Champion. Uh, give me Arkansas. I know Ole Miss is coming off a huge win, but Arkansas is still really solid, I think. And I don't know. I, th- I think I think they'll cover. Yeah, all right, over to you, Zach. Yeah. All right. Um, give me the Rebels. Yes, I know that I picked Ole Miss to – cover against Alabama last week, and that did not work. But I still believe in that offense. I'm going to take Ole Miss. I I admittedly haven't watched a whole heck of a lot of Arkansas football or Ole Miss football this year. With that being said, I'm going with Ole Miss as well. Love what Mar- well, love what Matt Corral's been doing. Ten touchdowns, no picks. Henry Parrish Jr. is a monster. Jerion Ely with that Ole Miss running back room is they're both really, really good, over 200 yards on the season. Arkansas laid a deuce. I know Georgia's good, but did not look good at all. I think Ole Miss is the better team, and frankly, they have more experience in these bigger-esque games. I think Arkansas is about to be exposed as sort of frauds again. All right, number two, Georgia. 14.5-point favorites as they travel to Auburn. I'll start off. Don't think Auburn wins this game, but I think Auburn covers. Mm, Wow. I'm high on Georgia. I am, but this is every, I'm getting like shades of the Iron Bowl whenever I would pick Alabama to cover, and it would be like a like a 20 point spread, and then Bo Nix plays just well enough, and Auburn does just enough to backdoor cover. As good as Georgia is, that's not an easy place to play, and Auburn's got some guys, man. Auburn Auburn's good for a reason. Um, Bo Nix is a good player. Jaleel Hunter for Auburn, or I'm sorry, Jerkez Hunter is a good player for Auburn. So I, I'm i thinking Auburn, give me the Tigers here. Give me Georgia. I am just amazed at how great their defense has been this year, and I think it's going to continue to shine against Auburn. So Yeah, give me the dogs. Uh, I picked against Georgia last week against the top 10 Arkansas team. I said the spread was way too big. I'm not making that mistake again. The athletes on this team are ridiculous defensively. I said that I didn't think Georgia's offense was going to be that great. They were okay against Arkansas, but you don't have to be great when you allow zero points against the top 10 team in the country. I mean, that defense is so good. 
I'm taking Georgia. I could have started for Georgia defensive tackle if I was six inches taller and I didn't have a bum knee. <laughs> Penn State travels to Iowa. Nittany Lions currently one and a half point underdogs. Give me the Hawkeyes. I This is the week when I think Penn State comes back down to earth a little bit. And let's be honest, they got a brutal draw. Like, any team that has to play Iowa, that is the only team in the Big Ten West that has looked consistently good. I mean, yes, Iowa looked mad against Colorado State for in that first half a couple weeks ago before winning 24-14. to 14. But people don't – Kinnick is a house of horrors for every Big Ten East team. And if you're Penn State, this is a game you have to win because you still have Michigan, you still have Michigan State, you still have Ohio State. And you lose this game and your Big Ten East hopes take a big, big shot. I think Iowa wins this. They have a very real chance of running the table in conference. This is by far and away their hardest game. They've looked bored the last couple of weeks, even though they decked Maryland up one way and down the other. Spencer Petras finally looks like a college quarterback. I'm going with the Hawkeyes. Yeah, what you said about Kinnick is exactly my thinking. Uh, Iowa wins this game by a million because any Big Ten top five or any top five Big Ten East team that goes into Iowa City, doesn't matter if Iowa's good or not, they lose by 40. Penn State will lose this game by double digits um, just because. I also am going to go with Iowa here. I think they're really going to separate themselves in the uh, Big Ten contender talk this week, and I think they're going to make a big statement. I think they'll win soundly, too. Next game in our pickup, Michigan travels to unranked Nebraska. Michigan currently three-and-a-half-point favorites. Zach, over to you. So I really want to go with the upset special here. I really want to pick Nebraska. I'm not going to. I'm going to pick Michigan because I'm a chicken. But don't be surprised if Nebraska wins this game. Cornhuskers are playing really well. Michigan still obviously without Ronnie Bell for the rest of the season. They don't have that great of weapons on the outside, and I'm still not sold on McNamara's throwing ability. He didn't look that great throwing the ball against Wisconsin. They're doing this weird quarterback split thing with McCarthy getting some snaps, too. Third quarter, handoff, handoff comes out. Weirdest yeah, three-play sequence well, I've ever seen. And they do it a lot. Like, yes. it's consistent. I just don't get it. Like, you bring your backup quarterback, it almost feels like you're trying to set something up, like, in a couple weeks' time. But, I don't know. But, anyways, I'm taking Michigan, but I'm wary of it. I am too, but I got to go with the Wolverines as well. I keep picking against Michigan, and I keep getting burned. (laughs) As much as I've been impressed with how Nebraska has played, I see this being a very low-scoring game. Hassan Haskins and Blake Corbin didn't do piddly crap against Wisconsin. They ran for two and a half yards on average. When you look at when you look at the box score that I have in front of me, Hassan Haskins, 19 rushes, 47 yards. Blake Corbin, 15 rushes, 46 yards. Overall, as a team, 44 rushes for 112 yards. With that being said, Roman Wilson is playing better. Cornelius Johnson is playing better. Eric All is playing better. There's going to be a game where I think Nebraska has a little bit of a downturn because, frankly, I think they're playing above their means right now, and I think the way they're playing is a little bit unsustainable. And, uh, God, I hate doing this. I really want to – nothing would like to see me more than Captain Captain Khaki's wetting his shorts on a national stage again, but don't think he will. Give me the Wolverines. Yeah, I have to say Michigan as well because, like Stearns, I've also been getting burned every time I pick against Michigan. Um, And I think they're going to come in high off this Wisconsin win. And 
I think they've got a lot of momentum on their side right now. All right, the game that everybody's been waiting for, Michi, or excuse me, jumping the gun a little bit, Wake Forest six-point favorites as they travel to Syracuse. Aiden, over to you. And I know this would screw you both up. That's exactly why I picked it. Actually, it's not. I feel very confident about my pick in this one because, surprisingly, I have watched a lot of these two teams because I have no other life. So, well, um, <laughs> Give me Syracuse. Uh, I think this is the week that Wake Forest gets humbled. Zach, over to you. Wake Forest. I am all aboard the Wake Forest ACC hype train. They didn't look that great in the game against Louisville, but Sam Hartman has been really good under center for this team, and they've got some talent outside. Jakari, or Jakari Roberson, excuse me, leading that attack as well as Taylor Morin. There's some talent on this Wake Forest team. Give me the Demon Deacons. I'd on pick, the road. I'd pick the Demon Deacons by 15 because Syracuse is a sorry excuse of a football program. And I how Dino Babers is still employed is one of life's greatest mysteries. When you look at his coaching, 13-30 and 30 overall in the ACC, the only reason he's still employed is because in 18 they went 10-3 and three and won the Camping World Bowl. Only mm-hmm. reason. They went 1-10 last year. You're 3-2 and two this year. You lost to Florida State, who's not very good. Syracuse is just not a good football team, a good football program. They're perennial, a giant. So give me the Demon Deacons. Oh, all right. Aiden, over to you. Oh, wait, you already, you already did picked, it. Yeah. All right. So I'm a, I'm a loon toy. Michigan State, five and a half point favorites as they travel to Rutgers. I will start off and give me the boys from East Lansing. I think this, this line affords Michigan State the opportunity to have spurts where they don't play very well and still win. Michigan did not play great against Rutgers and still won by seven. I think top-down Michigan State is a much better football team based on what I've read just as an outside observer. Doesn't sound like Greg Schiano's very confident that Bo Melton will play. He doesn't play. That is a huge, huge lot. Rutgers runs the ball a lot with Pacheco. They don't do it horribly well. At the end of the day, this Michigan State team is eons better than it was a year ago, and they still put up 28 against a Rutgers team that returned a lot of its players from a year ago, and they turned the ball over seven times. You don't completely blast yourself in the foot. Top down, I think, for 60 minutes, the talent and the overall ability of Michigan State is going to eventually overwhelm the Scarlet Knights. Uh, give me Michigan State as well. I think they're going to come into this game fixing – uh, a lot of mistakes that they've made in these past few weeks, and I think I think they're just gonna simply beat down on Rutgers. But I guess we'll uh, we'll see. Zach, I'll take the Spartans by double digits, but I don't know that I think it's gonna be a blowout. I think Michigan State scores late and puts this game away. Um, kind of like Miami, so to speak. Yeah. Similar territory, yeah. Yeah, except for I've compared like the last three games of my expectations to the Miami game, and none of them have been like that because they came back and beat Nebraska, and then they jumped all over Western Kentucky. But I do think Michigan State does win this game. I also think they cover the spread of five and a half. All right, that will do it for this week's episode of Spartan Reds. On this episode, will drop tomorrow morning. So if you guys are in the Rutgers area or 
within the Lansing, East Lansing area, give us a tune in at impact89fm.org slash listen live or WDBM 88.9 FM if you're in the Holt area, Grand Ledge area, Okemos, Jackson, Lansing, Brighton, all those wonderful little towns that are so much. Howell, where President Biden was yesterday. I think we're excited to go out to Rockers. I'm already not going to be, probably not going to sleep tomorrow night. Um, yes. The one thing that's going to suck, though, and I'm very, very angry about it. Surprise, Nathan being mad about something. <laughs> I would have ever guessed. We land at like 11 o'clock in Newark, and our hotel check-in time isn't until 4. So Philly. Philly's right by there. What do you mean Philly's right by there? Philly's like half hour, an hour yeah, from Newark. I won't get to crash and take a cat nap. That's yeah, I true. Gonna, I was gonna, well, I mean, the good thing is, I mean, <laughs> also an hour Uber ride. It's gonna be from a lot. It, it's gonna be in the fill. I mean, we're already gonna have to. I mean, Yikes. we're already gonna have to pay enough going into going into Piscataway because the the hotel's like thirty five minutes from the airport. What's really gonna suck? The hotel is really close to the stadium, not horribly close to the airport. SHI's about half an hour, forty minutes, just depending on traffic. Um, our flight leaves on Sunday morning at like eight thirty or eight forty. Something, something early. It's early. Five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm. I'm I think twenty. Yeah. Something. Something like that. We're thirty minutes away, and we're driving into like Newark into, Ooh. which but is yeah, gonna be a it's Sunday though, so that might be nice. Yeah, we're, we're still gonna have to get up early, and yeah. Nathan, Nathan doesn't get any sleep. <laughs> I don't sleep. I I sometimes sleep during the day. Like on Monday, I took a nap from about one thirty to four to like five o'clock, and then stayed up until three thirty in the morning, and then got up at 8.30 for class and did it all over again because I'm an unhealthy you-know-what. <laughs> but anyway, thank you guys for tuning in to this edition of Spartan Red Zone. As always, I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, for Zach Serdnick, Aiden Champion. We'll talk to you guys next time.